Welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where we watch our favorite rom-coms and decide whether they hold up. I'm Carrie Gilbert. I'm Allison Gilbert. And this week, we watched The Princess Bride, which came out in 1987. Yes, 1987. It is written by William Golding and directed by Rob Reiner. William Goldman. 97%. Okay, William Goldman. I think. Let's check that. I scratched it on my sheet because I was like, I'll remember. And now I didn't. William Goldman. He also wrote, I think he wrote the book. He did. And then adapted it into the screenplay of the movie. His book. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, It has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes because it's a very good movie. It is. Because we don't have the energy for bad movies. (laughs) classic we like did a couple and we were like never mind this was dumb um yep yeah great okay that's it go watch it (laughs) um oh he's like written some movies i mean i believe he allegedly wrote goodwill hunting he wrote butch cassidy and the sundance kid he wrote Mm, all the president's men lame he wrote heat he wrote The Princess Bride. He wrote Misery. Sure. He wrote Chaplin. He wrote Maverick. I about Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Now you're just I'm... naming movies that aren't as famous. No, yeah, Maverick. It's that, that, like, Western. I mean, he's prolific. Honestly, The Princess Bride is, like, kind of a departure for him. He's written a lot of, like, thrillers. Well, look, I don't want to presume to know what went on in the making of this movie but I would guess I would guess Rob Reiner had a lot of inf- like do we think the princess we've never read the princess bride novel so we're just gonna guess but do we think it's as like funny and goofy as the movie um or do yeah, we I- think that it's like more of a serious love story that then this like funniness is put onto for the movie's sake I don't know. I suspect that a lot of the humor is built into the book. I mean, to be fair, like Goldman in the other stuff that he's written, both actually credit for and allegedly has written, there is humor. Like even in the more serious stuff he's written, there is, you know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is a funny movie at times. So I don't have any doubt that much of the humor is due to him and also just like the beats of dialogue. I don't think any director necessarily like influenced that. I think that that is um, inherent in the script, at least like that's my interpretation. Yeah. There could also be like, I mean like famously in when Harry met Sally, which is a movie Rob Reiner has no writing credit on, but a lot of the, like Harry dialogue is Rob Reiner. So he could have directors can influence the script without being credited for it. I'm not trying to take anything away from William Goldman. I'm just saying, yeah, the man's already had enough taken away from him, including um, credit on Goodwill hunting. So allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Jesus Christ. Google it. I want to get sued by Ben Affleck. It's I don't have that kind of money. He's got plantation money. It's a very interesting story. I'm just saying Google it. And when you compare some of the 
not like substance of the dialogue, but like the structure of the dialogue in movies like The Princess Bride that he's credited on. Too Good Will Hunting. I'm just saying it's possible. Allison, what were your predictions for this movie? Um, that it would hold. This is one of my all-time favorite movies. Rob Reiner is one of my all-time favorite directors. I saw him in a a production company I was interning at once, and I ran the other way. I left my tea in the kitchen, and I ran the other way. Um, so I knew that it would hold up. My vibes have been a little anxious, so I just wanted a movie that would make me happy. Yeah. And that's how we're curating our list currently. And this did it. I mean, this is like a true family classic. You know, I think like I have been I have been watching this movie for you know, 25 years at least. And I love it as much now as I did as a kid. And More I find because I I first saw this movie before I could articulate this movie. So, and you turned 34 yesterday, so. Yeah. And I, I mean, I just, I think that every time I watch it, I, I find something different to look that I find funny. I find something different that I find lovely. This, and this movie is not without its flaws, but I think that we've watched, we tend to either think that a movie is we are unable to get past a movie's recently we've been unable to get past a movie's flaws or the movie just doesn't have many flaws and this like there are flaws but I don't care (laughs) right because everything else about it works so well so Allison what are some of the things that you like about this movie well I will say my uh, a lot of my childhood anxieties are di- stem directly from this movie. I was afraid of sand because of the quicksand. I was. There was another one we discovered last night. And Dad was like, that's why you were afraid of that. And I was like, yeah. But now I don't remember what it was. Rodents of unusual size, maybe. Anyway. This movie is responsible for many of my childhood anxieties. <laughs> um fire people just are seem afraid of fire the fire swamp really freaked me out um oh i know what it was it's the old lady yelling at her in her dream sequence that like scared me as it like i really didn't like that scene as a kid but i think you're right like we've been watching this movie for probably close to 30 years um and i don't know that when i watched it as a kid i realized how funny it is just because like it's just seems sort of like a it's a different kind of rom-com and that it's like this sort of like uh period piece epic you know there are pirates she's a princess there's giants and albinos and you know billy crystal and uh carol kane and insane old people makeup so when you watch it as a kid you're like oh this is like a fairy tale it feels like a fairy tale movie Mm mm-hmm um, and you just sort of, at least I sort of took the humor for granted. But it's also like a true comedy. Yeah. I did while watching it. I was like, did Robin Wright and Carrie Yules, whose name I, last name I can't pronounce, did they know they're in a comedy? <laughs> or did I, they think they're in a 
romantic I think they period piece. So first of all, I think Carrie Wools is hilarious in this movie. He I mean, he's the straight man to Fizzy Fezzy what's what's Andre the Fezzik? Giants? Fezzik and an ego, but he uh, he has some very funny moments. Um and I think he's very much playing for comedy. Um, I think Robin Wright did exactly what she was supposed to in this movie. I don't think that she was supposed to do much other than be the damsel and the ingenue. And that's yeah, unfortunate. That's like the only problematic part of this movie. Yeah, it's unfortunate because, you know, now we know that she's capable of so much more. Um, but I think that that was exactly her purpose in this movie you know, she was there. I mean, essentially, she's like there as a prop for the men to like play out the story around her. I mean, she is like the the thing that's being fought over. She's very much a device, unfortunately. There's only one other speaking role by a woman, and it's Carol Kane and uh, insane old makeup. Yeah. And in the like, and she's just like an old crone, <laughs> right? And in like the three minutes she's on screen, she's far more fun to watch than Robert Wright. I mean, Robin Wright is young and beautiful and embodies very much like the fairy tale princess. And like you said, this movie is in many ways at its heart a fairy tale, it is a fantasy, it is exploring themes of true love and faith and true love and and even death can't tear apart soulmates i mean all things that are not reality i mean this movie is is not based in any kind of reality um but so in that way like she is exactly what she needed to be for the purpose of this film I think yeah, she probably she could have been more was, helpful. In I think the she was directed creatures. I think she was written and likely directed ex- exactly like she was not given funny to do, and she wasn't directed to be funny. She was supposed to be, and and I mean I do think like she is very much like the grounding force because she isn't playing anything for laughs. Yeah, she's very damselly. She mm-hmm. literally like he's like being attacked by a rodent of unusual size. And then she like, there's like fire and she's like, Wesley. And it's like, girl, he's busy. Do anything. (laughs) She like for years, that scene has annoyed me. She is so useless in the fire swamp. She doesn't even like. She's mean to Humperdinck. She like tells Humperdinck what. She does. Her mind there. But we also are told that he's a very weak character. It, It feels kind of. Like, the fact that she stands up to him is great, except we know that he is supposed to be a coward and a weak character. So, like, what does that say for our heroine, if we can even call her that? But I agree. I mean, she does, like, go after what she wants. She does speak up to Vicini. I mean, she she's a lot of talk without a lot of action. That's yeah, kind of how I not, feel about her. Not a Not a fighter. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, the men around her are some of the best written comedy characters and just like story characters. I mean, I was watching as we were watching last night. I 
Inigo Montoya might be one of the best film characters of all time. Yeah, and I think he's like he's like one of those characters if you even if you haven't seen this movie, you know that character and uh hello, my name is Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die. It was literally mm-hmm. co opted for an episode of Game of Thrones. A very different tonally show than this movie. Um, and that scene where what's his face is trying to kill the mountain. It's he's just sort of like he's probably the most famous character from this movie yeah. and the most sort of beloved. And when you talk about like Mandy Patinkin as an actor, Mandy Patinkin is probably one of the greatest actors of all time. But he's also he's not like, you know, he's not the most famous because he's a Broadway actor. And so this is what if you don't know Sunday in the Park with George, this is what you know Mandy Patinkin from. Or Criminal Minds or Homeland. Sure. This is not what you know, Mandy. This is what people know Mandy Patinkin. I mean, if you're like over the age of 45, you know Mandy Patinkin from Criminal Minds. You're not, though. So (laughs) I'm just saying, like, you know, the CBS watchers of the world love themselves and Mandy Patinkin. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, because they're also, you know, Broadway frequenters. Um, there's also a video of him trying to figure out a meme lately, and it's uh, a truly a gift to this world. Yeah. So speaking of Mandy Patinkin, if you guys have not read Rachel Symes, I think you say her name Symes, and if they, that's not how you say her name, I'm really sorry. Um, she's a fantastic writer um, and Twitter follow. Um, but she wrote a New Yorker article about kind of how he's become like the internet's resident dad. Um, and he's become very political. Um, there's a lot. He like started a Twitter and an Instagram, I think with the help of his son and his wife is a staple and they just sort of embody like boomers, like fun boomers on the internet. Um, and he, comes across as like a a genuinely lovely person. Um, So anyway, we'll link to that article. Um, It's in the New Yorker. And we'll also um, link to Rachel Symes' Twitter. Um, I would highly encourage people to check out both. Well, and like, when you talk about comedies, one of the things I think that makes a comedy a good comedy is like, does it feel like this is related to you saying like, he just seems like a genuinely good person. Does it feel like the actors are having fun? And at no point in this, like a lot of this movie has that feeling of like friends getting together and doing something fun, but without sort of what I will call the oceans 12 and 13, like pitfall of like, then just being a bunch of inside jokes. Like they're making Mm -hmm. a good movie, but they're also having fun together and I think a lot of times like either you can't like feel the fun in a comedy which is certainly not what you want or it's like okay they were having fun but like so much so that they then like didn't make a movie that makes sense to anyone right and this movie has a really nice like 
Like, we don't know Mandy Patinkin. We don't know if he's actually, like, a lovely person. But it certainly seems like he's having fun with Andre the Giant, who also, like, is not the greatest actor in the world. But he just feels like a nice man. <laughs> like, there's yeah. just, like, a level of... And then, like, Billy Crystal and Carol Kane and Peter Cook and all these, like, iconic comedians show up. And you're like, oh, this is just... Like, every scene is just injected with some sort of level of... Even the villains, fun. like... Even Humperdinck and Count Rugen are. I've seen this movie eight thousand like, times. I could never have told you that that was Christopher Guest's character's name. Yeah, Count Rugen, the six-fingered man. Like yeah. even even their performances, there is a twinkle and a joy in their performances, particularly Christopher Guest. And like Christopher Guest is a prolific comedic actor. That is what he's known for. He's maybe one of, I think, like, one of the best comedic actors, like, working, living. Um, So even though he's playing this very, like, dark, sinister, droll character, there is a level of fun and joy in his performance. And in the scene where he's fighting Inigo, played by Mandy Patinkin, like... There is such a commitment that it's fun to watch. They're also both like very, like Christopher Guest is known as a, you know, a comedy writer and director and actor. But they're also both like very good. I don't know if this is true about Christopher Guest, but because he's British, I'm guessing it is like classically trained actors. Mm -hmm. And so there's a level of like, you're right, like commitment to their roles that then that they're taking it very seriously and acting it very seriously. So then like the jokes are funnier and like, they're just both such good actors. Yeah. That that's why that scene is so iconic. I also will know there's like so many plot holes in this movie. Like he fully, like Christopher Guest fully stabs Mandy Patinkin three times, once like dead in the gut. And then like Mandy Patinkin just like, you believe that he like this the need for revenge for his father is what makes him kill like win that battle like i believe that but then he like after that he's just like fine (laughs) yeah it's like like, i'm gonna hold it it'll be in a non-ridiculous comedy he would like get the strength kill the six-fingered man and then himself die but in this movie he's just like no i'm good and he's just like holding his gut and like goes to find fezzik Yeah, I think I think it, like it was you or Jeff. Somebody last night was like, um, "He needs some treatment." Like, need that I was me. It was like he needs a doctor. He doesn't need to jump out of a window onto a white horse. But there's lots. I mean, Mom is like the queen of like pointing out plot holes, and she, of course, did it last night. My favorite being like, so they have they've climbed the cliffs of insanity. We've seen how hard it is to get to the top of the cliffs of insanity, and then we like cut back and. And Prince Humperdinck and Count Rugen are, like, on horses up there. And Mom's like, how did they get horses up there? And I thought she meant on set. And I was like, what do you – like, they're not actually on cliffs. And she was like, no, no, like, the characters. Like, how would you have gotten horses up there? And the truth of the matter is, like, there's lots of little moments like that in this movie where you're like, well, that doesn't check out. But once again, this is a fairy tale. So I I don't don't care. I don't think the movie doesn't know that. Like, I think that's a joke. Like, I think – this is a satire and they are in a lot of ways making fun of fairy tales and like nobody didn't think of that. I think it's an intentional, you have like a whole 15 minute scene of 
Inigo Montoya waiting for uh, Wesley as uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts. And like he takes him forever to get up the fucking cliff. And then the next scene, they're just up there. That's on that's on purpose. That's the joke. I mean, the other thing is I think there's just an element of like, we don't have to explain this away. Like, we don't need to explain this because we're living in a fantasy world. Like, we're literally, we are watching a grandfather tell a grandson a story, a fairy tale. Right. Like, the reality of this movie is in uh, Columbo talking to Fred Savage. Right. (laughs) Which, P.S. side note earlier in uh, this you know lockdown whatever we're calling what we're living in now dad was like reading the newspaper and he like laughed and i was like what did you find funny in the newspaper right now and he was like i'm just reading an article about how colombo holds up over time sure obviously yes there's no there's you don't like i mean you're not actually like wondering how all this shit makes sense like there's also a question of like was wesley intentionally following them to find princess buttercup or did he just like happen upon them and it's never explained also like when he finally gets her away from Vizzini like how the fuck does she not recognize his voice or then she talks about like his eyes and how like she fell in love with his eyes and she can literally see his eyes his eyes are not masked I was like also why isn't he just being like yo girl it's me (laughs) and because I guess like he's mad that she's engaged he's like mad that she's engaged to this prince but it's also like bro she thought you were dead like Right. She's still a lady. He's like, true love. Death can't like tear apart true love. And it's like, okay, but it can. Like, it does. She doesn't know that yet. Right. She thinks death is real in this world. (laughs) Right. (laughs) At one point, when he's got his hair, when Wesley's got his hair in his ponytail, Aaron was like, is he wearing a topsy tail? Meaning, like, (laughs) Did he, did somebody take the tool that we all had in the 90s that like flipped your hair into like an upside down ponytail and that was a throwback I was not prepared for but really enjoyed. It was I don't even think you needed to, I mean I think they invented a tool for it but you just had to split your hair and flip your ponytail. That's exactly right. It's a, it's a very easy and he was wearing one. It's a very easy look to pull off. It, yeah, and buying the tool was a complete waste of 12.99 and yet we all did it. I never, I didn't, I, you, I didn't have my own, so I never stole yours. I just learned to do the hairstyle on my own, like the fucking boss I am. One of the ways that you can tell that this movie was quite clearly like made in the 80s is that the effects are hysterical, particularly when they're on ships on the ocean and she jumps in the water and you can tell that the water is approximately like two feet deep. And the mechanical eels that circle her right. <laughs> in a very mechanical way. And then the rodents of unusual size are human beings in rat costumes. <laughs> in giant rat costumes. Giant ass rat costumes. Wait, Carrie, before we go on, what is the, um abbre- what's the, uh not abbreviation, you know. Acronym? Anagram, whatever. Acronym for rodents of unusual size? R-O-U-S. R-O-U-S. Okay, so yes. Carrie was convinced there was an E in there somewhere. I she really kept going, R-O-U-E-S-S. They kept, like, when you say it quickly, it comes out like R-O-E-S-S or R-O-U-S-S. I don't know. It's, it's hard for me. That's all I'm saying. When they're fighting, when uh, yeah. Montoya and uh, Wesley are sword fighting on the cliffs, which is a great scene. There's also, like, a lot of dialogue in fight scenes. That's great. But anyway, like, every time they, like, flip and land in the sand, you can see the, like like cloth covering the flat there's like a flat and then a cloth and then sand and you can like see it pop up like you can see the sets yeah 
The dialogue's also the dialogue in the fight scenes and just in general is is does a really nice job of very subtly like building character development. Like in that sword scene, that sword fight scene, early sword sword fight scene between <laughs> Leslie and Inigo, we establish very quickly and very subtly that they are men of honor and that they have a great deal of respect for each other and like they're trying they have opposing goals and so they're gonna have to try and like get their job done but there is an honor amongst thieves in a sense um um, great for when they then team up later right but i think and so i think it's just establishing very quickly for us like who they are as people yeah, this movie does a good job of establishing, like, the good guys versus the bad guys mm-hmm. quickly. Like, the good guys, like, Inigo and Wesley won't – well, the other one's, like, picking up their sword or something. The other one doesn't strike. Like, they're very honorable sword fighters. Well, And, and even, they, like, are giving each other compliments as they're doing it. Well, and even though um, Fezzik and Inigo have kidnapped Buttercup, who's, you know, our our heroine, our damsel – we know almost immediately that they're not villains by virtue of the way that they interact with her and the way they interact with each other um, and the way they interact with Vizzini. Like, it's it's all abundantly clear. Like Vizzini, the... Wallace, Sean as Wallace, Sean. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, like, when uh, she, when they, when, I don't know, Chris Sarandon and... When Humperdinck, when Prince Humperdinck and Christopher Guest, like, find her, and she says, like, uh, will you promise not to hurt him? And then, like, they say yes, and then immediately take him away, and then they're like, obviously, uh, go kill him. Like, they just immediately go back on their word. You immediately know that these two men are not men of honor. Right. It's, like, similar to the scene later when he, when Prince Humperdinck, like, lays out his plan to kill her on their wedding night. Right. Um. Leading to one of my favorite lines, which where he's talking about all he has to do. He has a wedding to plan. He has a wife to murder and a different country to frame for it. He's very overwhelmed. He has a lot on um, his plate. He's got a lot on his plate. Um, yeah, it's very because this is a fantasy and there are there's not middle ground. There are good people and there are bad people. There's mm-hmm. the guys you want to win and the bad guys. Um they do a good job of like establishing that quickly, even though yes, we are presented with Fezzik and Inigo Montoya in the beginning on, you know, like capturing her, you know, that ultimately they're the heroes. Fezzik is the hero of this movie. He's the one who does all the like work. He's the one who's fighting everything. He's the one who finds them the horses to escape on. Cause they did not have an escape plan. They did not. He's the true. one do he's doing the work here. Um, so I think we should talk about how this movie fits into like the rom-com genre because this is not a rom-com in a classical sense. This is a fairy tale with romance and with comedy. This this to me is like more purely a comedy than a lot of the movies that we've watched. I would even maybe venture to say that this is the funniest movie that we've watched. Um you think about that and get back to me. But, um, so this. I would say this, Bridesmaids, Longshot, Top Three. Birdcage. Never mind. We've watched a lot of funny we've movies. We've watched some funny movies. Okay. So, but anyway, like this to me, 
this doesn't, this is not, when we think of rom-com, I don't know that this immediately comes to mind because I think that this falls far more on the comedy side of things. And then of course there is a romance that is central to it, um, that drives the comedy and the adventuring and the fairy tale of it. Um, but when you're marrying romance and comedy, inevitably you have some level of a rom-com. But I don't think it follows the the beats or the tropes of a rom- rom-com necessarily because that's not what it's trying to do. It's trying but to that, be a fantasy. But that also doesn't mean it's not a rom-com. I mean... No, no, I'm not saying that. The objective of this movie is, will the hero rescue the damsel, which is an old world version of will the guy get the girl yeah and also i think maybe one of the problems with some of the a lot of the rom-coms we've watched is that they and i think we've talked about this before they don't necessarily earn the calm part of rom-com right and like of the four movies we just mentioned off the top of our heads being the funniest birdcage bridesmaids long shot princess bride only one of those is a only long shot as a traditional like romantic comedy in the sense that you think of romantic comedy Mm -hmm. like bridesmaids is not at all like there's like the central relationship we're rooting for in bridesmaids is maya rudolph and Kristen wig we did we have argued about whether or not that's true of the birdcage right because the central relationship is romantic but you don't ever sort of wonder if they're they are an est- long established married couple right um and this one is your the central question is will the guy get the girl but then because it's you know a fantasy and a romp and a farce you get sort of this dramatic sort of like epic feeling and then comedy layered on top well and but i think still the goal of the movie is will they end up together well, and I think the other thing is, like, we have talked repeatedly on this podcast about how rom-coms are modern-day fantasy fairy tales. You know, they approach love, for the most part, I mean, there are exceptions that that we've talked about, but many of them approach love and relationships in a very kind of fantastical way. With And yeah. they're not movies about relationships and, and how you make relationships work. There are movies about, you know, these grandeur themes of love and honor and soulmates. And this is just that to the extreme. This is that in a sort of Cinderella kind of way. Um, and Rob Reiner is very much a rom-com director. And so I think... Yeah, we forgot to say when Harry met Sally in funny movies. Right. I mean, so I think Rob Rob Reiner is bringing like that rom-com sensibility. He's bringing his satirical sensibility and he's marrying the two in this fairy tale. Yeah. And it comes together nearly perfectly. Yeah. I mean, all this sort of like damsel in distress shit aside... Because it's, I don't know that I, and like, yes, there are no, there are two women with speaking roles and one's a witch and one's a princess, (laughs) but like, but maybe that's intentional or maybe I'm giving them too much credit. But also like, I don't believe Rob Reiner to be a sexist writer. So much of his 
famous work was made with Nora Ephron. Like, I'm not saying that, like, he probably can't have his consciousness raised any amount. But I also think that they're telling this is a story of a grandfather reading his grandson a book. And it's old timey and old timey fairy tales. The women were damsels. Right. It's also 1987. Like it's also 1987. (laughs) We weren't necessarily having like the same gender conversations in 1987 that we are now. And I think if you did a if you did a modernized version of this, and I don't mean nobody should do. (laughs) Right. I'm not suggesting that that anyone should try and remake this movie. Please God, do not. But I do think perfect. Leave it. If you if the grandfather was telling the grandson this story in 2020, the fairy tale would likely look different. Yes. I think we would still be set in this fantastical world, but there might be elements of things that were different. Um, but that being said, like this to me is a movie that this falls into the category of movies that I forgive it its flaws, even the ones that I wish weren't there, like Robin Wright's characterization, because of how much I love it and because it gets everything else right. And truthfully, like, because it is doing a satirical thing, you know, I think that the Buttercup character, again, like, I think she was exactly who she was supposed to be in this movie. Yeah, and I don't know. I did say at one point, like, I think at one point Fred Savage stops. Oh, because she's marrying Humperdinck. And he said, she's not supposed to marry him. She's supposed to marry Wesley. He did all this stuff for her that's not fair. <laughs> I said, like, this raised a generation of boys to think, like, if they were nice to girls, they, that women then owed them something. Which I don't actually think is true. Like, I think, I don't know that this movie did any sort of lasting damage no. to the psyche of and like sexism in this world. I think you can watch it and understand that it's satirical and talking about a type of story that was in no way feminist without itself being overtly problematic. It's not like something like a 16 Candles where the the story and the humor is hinged on right sexism and sexual violence whereas this is you know the character nothing is inherently feminist in this movie but also nothing is inherently sexist well and also i think that what fred savage the like character of the little boy is connecting with i mean i know you were making a joke but i think in reality like what what he's connecting with and what the lesson is is that like truth and honor should win out over deceitfulness and evil and right and like yes he was upset that good wasn't winning out over right and like the farm boy and the orphan and the giant win out over the prince and the count Mm -hmm. um and like sort of these kind of classic fairy tale themes of like good versus evil and right versus wrong and he's like a sick little boy who didn't want to hear this story because he wanted to play his very 1987 video game. Yeah. Um, but that, now he's like that That little story is like the grandfather giving his grandson something that he thought he didn't want. And then he turns out to fall in love with it. Like because there's also in addition to it being a romantic comedy, it's this it's there's this tiny little story of like this grandfather and grandson bonding. I will say this movie opens with coughing because Fred Savage is sick in bed. That's not okay in 
the year of our Lord 2020. Yeah. That, I, it gave me anxiety. On yesterday, the day I t- received my negative test results. So I have a note at the very end that says, he's got good teeth. Mm-hmm. 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 What the fuck was I talking about? Were you, were we watching the credits when people are like smiling and getting there? I don't know. Or was it when Fred Savage sweetly tells his grandpa he can come by the next day and read him the book? can tell you i think it was something melinda said and i like wanted to comment on it because it was funny and then you forgot but then i forgot i even thought to myself give yourself more context you won't remember it was like an angel and a devil on my shoulder i remember this and the angel was like give yourself more context and the devil was like no you've got this you'll remember just right he's got good teeth that'll be <laughs> enough and sure enough it's not fucking enough i don't know what we were what i was thinking I want you anyway. to think about it, and we'll open next week's episode with what that was about. <laughs> I'll let you know. This is also like, so I recently drove across the country to, you know, because there's a global pandemic, and my dear friend Erin drove with me, um, and so she is with us and watched it with us last night and was like, I've only ever seen, like, parts of this movie. I've never, she's like, I've never sat and watched it, like, beginning to end. But then it was clear that either she's seen enough parts or because this movie is so iconic that like at the wedding scene she was like oh it's the marriage scene and like right this movie just i think it's just so maybe it's our generation because this movie was came out when you were a tiny baby and i was not born yet but so we grew up watching it but i think it's just so and sort of the zeitgeist of our childhood and hopefully um just so sort of in the zeitgeist of the world that it's you know, even if you haven't seen it, you know these scenes and you know these. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. I wish that back in the 80s there had been a sequel that was focused on, um, like, post this story with Fezzik, Inigo, and Wesley, like, adventuring on the high seas or something. Well, because... Inigo is going to become the new Dread Pirate right. Roberts. I needed the sequel. And I'm Again, I'm not suggesting it gets no made now. No one should make it now. <laughs> I'm saying I wish it were made like circa 1989 with these actors. There's Just, some bro right now being like, I'm going to make that movie. Don't do it. No. There's some studio. Good thing no straight men listen to this podcast. Some don't do it. Like hiring a ghostwriter. Don't do it. I don't want it. I wanted it in 1989. Okay, She's thanks. not asking for it. Can I tell you something that doesn't hold up in my current life right now? Hmm. I'm using a stack of books from dad's office to rest my microphone on. The one on top is Ghost Soldiers, the Forgotten Epic Story of World War II's Most Dramatic Mission. And it has on it a Borders 30% off sticker. <laughs> R.I.P. Borders. Um, anyway, if you're looking for a really fun movie and you've probably seen this before, but if you haven't, definitely watch it. And if you haven't seen it in a while, watch it. If you haven't seen it in a like, It'll just make you happy. Week. This won't this is not a sixteen candle situation where we watch it and we're sad at we had to kill it. This this lives on. This is a great movie. Yeah. It holds up. And except in the ways it doesn't, but we don't care. Yeah. I don't care. We're not good enough feminists to care. Um no, I think we are good enough feminists. The whole point of this podcast is that you can love art. While recognizing its flaws. That's all we're saying. And this has flaws. Oh, 
the landscapers are here. That's why the dog went ape shit. Um, I thought you like remembered a really awful flaw. You're like, oh, I forgot. No. Um, you know, someone art, someone. I'm just right. thinking about 16 Candles and the movie we're going to watch next week. That was a, a lawless transition. What are we watching next week? Overboard. I think on the list we put Goldie Hawn and Anna Ferris. I'm going to make an executive decision. I'm not touching the Anna Ferris one. <laughs> There's going to be enough to unpack Goldie Hawn one. Oh, I meant to also say this at the beginning of the episode. Because this is the point where you guys turn it off. So before you turn it off, please rate, review, and subscribe. Please help. Please. Um, you can find us on the internet. at On Instagram at hold underscore up underscore pod. And at Twitter at hold underscore up underscore podcast. Um, thank you for joining us and listening to the landscapers and the yeah. dog bark. Please stay safe. And socially gather outside numbers are rising across the country also i know that all of our listeners know this but if you are listening from the united states the next time we see you will be november 2nd jesus fucking christ please just vote i know it won't solve everything i know it's not the answer but you know what it'll make it better please do it please please vote go vote now Make sure that you've got your ballot in or you've requested your ballot. If you have questions, we, Karen and I do a lot of reading on anti-voter suppression things because it either helps or makes our anxiety worse given on the day. But we can help you We've also with done any trainings. sort of voting questions. Yes. Yes, we're both training to be hotline workers in various states. What yeah. state did you choose, Carrie? Ohio. I chose Wisconsin. That's another thing you can do. You can. It's super easy and not unfun. I'm not going to say it's fun to call strangers, but it's not unfun. You can call people in swing states like Wisconsin or Ohio and uh, help them with their voter questions. And it's a great way to channel anxiety um, to feel like you're doing something helpful, especially if, like Carrie and I, you do not vote in swing states at all. Oh, I actually like left a swing state. So that's why I'm trying to, you know, help them out. All right. Um, so thank you so much. Oh, follow Jesus us Christ. On, I'm going to be so anxious. Follow, follow us on social media. Rate, review, and subscribe. Please vote. Thank In you very that much. order. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye.